Thank you so much for joining me on YRF, Your Real Frequency. A real pleasure to have you, and I'm honored you're spending this time with me and my guest. Um, You know, the purpose of this podcast is to understand what drives us, understand why we do the things we do, and how we move past conscious and unconscious negative bias about ourselves. And our history usually extends from our experiences and things we've done, things we wish we hadn't. I know I have a lot. But it's important for our guests to be open and honest and and, and kind of uh, genuine about their experiences and the things they deal with. My guest today is no exception. He's a fantastic dude. Such a cool guy. Um, I'm a big fan. He's a sweetheart really kind, uh, welcomed me into his house. We sat down and, and had an amazing conversation. Um, he's a biologist, but foremost, he is the host of Primal Survivor on Nat Geo. He also has a show, Ultimate Survivor World War II, he's working on now, also on Nat Geo. You can find these on Amazon or Hulu um, on demand as well. So w- one of the things that I really picked up on our interview was he shed, a, shed light on why it might be good if we all reverted back to our tribal senses. Maybe you'll pick up on that too. Please like and subscribe, rate it, leave a comment if you wish, and share with as many people as you can. Please, let's get the message out. So please enjoy my conversation with Hazen Odell. Arctic Circle, Sahara Desert, Himalayas, South America, Tanzania, Ghana Jungle, all of Europe, Morocco, Darien Gap, Central America, goes on and on and on. <laughs> You've named a few of the places. Just a few. I've like <laughs> barely scratched the surface. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty incredible, your travels. It's been awesome. Your work has been uh, quite expanding. Yeah, yeah. I don't even quite know where it's all going to take me, but it, already it's taken me to a lot of places yeah you know the thing that i love about your shows is the interaction you have with the people when you're out there and from what i've read about you what i know is really getting to know tribes that you uh wouldn't say infiltrate but you integrate with <laughs> learn their ways learn how to survive it within the elements and then you go out there and do it i think so yeah i think what what's been really amazing with this journey, but I think the journey that I'm on is just because that's the kind of the path that I was meant to go on anyway. And I think at a at a really young age, really when I was 19, when I graduated from high school, um, was when I set off to go follow my dreams and go live. I studied to be a biologist. I wanted to go catch snakes and go look for freshwater fish and bugs. I mean, that's just the kind of stuff I've always loved since I was a kid. But I always, I loved it so much. That's what I wanted to do for a living. However, that was going to take form. I wanted to do it. And kind of the pinnacle of the world as far as biodiversity and the best snakes and the best bugs and the best animals was in the Amazon. And I'm kind of the first person in my whole lineage to have gone to college. I didn't have a lot of guidance in that way, but they just knew for me to be able to do what I wanted to do, which was to be a biologist, it was going to require that I was going to go to the college and then probably university and gosh, probably even 10 years of schooling to really get me to where I wanted to go. And um, since that was pretty daunting to me at 19, when I still just wanted to ride my bike around and skateboard and snowboard and do all that stuff, um, I went to college for a little bit and then I was like, okay, if I'm really going to take this journey, I better go on my real journey to see if the Amazon is going to be where I'm, I want to invest a lot of my life into if I'm going to be a biologist, tropical biologist. 
So um, I wasn't getting that sort of exposure in college at Eastern at that time. They were just giving me the the temporary, the, you know, the, the introduction biology stuff wasn't really turning me on. And, uh, and um, but you, you, you have to run the courses of that. But I, I kind of sold everything that I had. I was 19. I had a lawn mowing business. Um, I had a couple of mountain bikes and I think I saved up close to $700. And that was enough for me. It was $680 for a plane ticket to get me to Ecuador. And then I think I had $70 left over. So it's a little over $700. And, uh, and then I thought I honestly, I really thought that I'd be there for about three weeks, maybe three months if I was really lucky. And, uh, you know, I didn't, I, I was, tried to study Spanish in high school because I knew, again, South America was hopefully going to be the place where I was going to spend a lot of my life. And, and then, uh, I went to Ecuador and lived on the side of a river for a while and just fished and tried to, I was really shy. I didn't know a lot of, I just knew I loved animals and I didn't know a lot about the people, but you just, just plopped down in the middle of a, Riverbank? It was. I was totally naive. I just brought my camping gear that I had from high school and uh, I just set it up and I thought I'd just fish. I was totally naive. You know, I thought I can cook rice and I can cook fish if I catch the fish, which I wanted to do anyway. <laughs> and then, and then really, lo and behold, after a couple of weeks of being there, I was this white kid on the side of a river <laughs> trying to learn how to fish. But all the kids, all the locals, they were all like indigenous people. They were the people that had lived in that region for thousands of years. They knew how to fish. They knew all the animals. And um, I I didn't know anything. And I was just watching from across the river all these kids that were catching fish and stuff like that. And they were telling their parents about this guy that was across the river trying to fish. And then, but as time went on, it was, and it was totally unexpected but I started to get to know the locals and um, with the little rudimentary Spanish that I did know, I put it to use. And then uh, I think just people kind of got, they could just tell that I was a kid that totally loved nature, totally out of his element, really, but he was there for a reason. But they said, they basically said, you know, you should, you know, come on over for dinner or, you know, let's get to know you and at least you'll get, a place to wash up and have a nice meal. And then they got to know me. And if you, if you ever get a chance to travel, you realize that in Latin America, there is a, a saying that they say, and it's a mi casa es tu casa or mi casa es su casa. And sure. it's basically my house is your house. And that basically happens after a really good dinner. Once they start to trust you, which really doesn't take very long and you spend a significant amount of time with them, they would way rather have you be a family rather than a stranger. And that was a very different cultural experience from what I grew up with here in Spokane, more the way that I was really meant to live. It really resonated with me. And, and I think since I was just such, so impressionable, 19 years old, and saw myself really thriving in that experience, it gave me so much more direction in my life because it's like, yeah, this is where I was meant to be. That little three-week, possibly three-month experience, I wound up, I was living there for about eight months. Wow. And with the help of the locals. With the local locals, because I was yeah. living, by that time, I was living with them in their households. Wow. Um, they kind of set me up with odd jobs around the communities, and that was where 
you know, your whole life has changed upside down. You're learning, sure. you know, how to live without electricity and you're learning, <laughs> you know, from hunters and gatherers and how to get your food and how to garden and do all that. And it was just awesome. And then by the time you come back into Spokane, you're like, what, what a culture shock. Like, why do we have this thing? And then for a long time, well, I just knew that I'm going to go back to this place as soon as I possibly can. I went to school so I could stay in school. Believe me, the very day that school got out, the next day I was on a plane. And I went back to that same place. See your they, old friends. Yeah, I found my people. And I wound that wound up being my routine for about six years. Um, found out ways to... I started a guiding business down there with those people that I was living with to get enough money that I could support myself in school, come back to school, and then go back to the jungle that for me to really do what I needed to do and wanted to do as far as a biologist, I'd need to go through academia. I'd have to go to college. I'd have to go to a really good university, probably. And then as I gone, th- I went through the kind of basic classes and the, later on as the classes got more interesting and more really um, pertinent to my interest, I started to affiliate with or understand some of the different professors that not only are in my college, but in the country that understand the direction that I want to take myself to. So I went to Eastern. I had kind of a interesting career in academia because I went to Eastern to stay local, get my kind of basics out of the way. And then I went to Western Washington University to just kind of get out of Spokane and have a little bit of a different, again, a different perspective on things. And that was awesome. And then as I got more mature and able to handle school life better, I went to University of Hawaii because I wanted to more focus on tropics, like tropical ecology, tropical botany, entomology. And there were some professors there that, like, I basically wanted to be like them. So you got to affiliate yourself with people that not only in academia, but like just in your life, you know, you have to, if you really want to achieve good things, you have to be around people that are achieving. Right. You want to emulate them. And they probably really respected the fact that you, you plopped down in Ecuador and uh, you discovered yourself there. I think I did. I mean, I, I you got a crash course in how to become right. quite a bit more mature. Right. And, yeah. uh, and independent. So they, and, I'm sure they saw that, right? I, well, I, like, think, I, I think the, the, special. the local people saw that I was special because it was just <laughs> totally odd that I was... This white kid on the special side of different ways, I by think, himself. But. <laughs> but I think um by the time I got out of that experience, I was really armed with something that nobody else really had. And my family didn't know a lot about college. They didn't come from the university, so they couldn't really help me out a lot. And my grades weren't totally awesome. Yeah. I mean I, I tried, but they just that's just not kind of who I am. So I really had to bring something else to the table. They had to have seen that in you and totally respected the fact that you were all about entomology and getting out there and, and, and discovering and immersing yourself in, in the environment. I think the powers that be that were like in admissions or whatever, the people that were enabling me to go to other schools that were um, probably harder to get into. The thing is, is that I think what stuck out to them is, yeah, when you're putting out, when you're putting in your application, it's not pretty soon, you know, the people that are getting at the top of the pile, those are usually the kids that are getting the very best grades, but that's not everybody. And so what else can they show that puts them 
sets them apart from the, all the other hundreds, maybe thousands of other applicants for that school. And, you know, I was able to, when there's essay components and there's things like that, to say, like, tell us about what you did last summer or tell us about what you want to do in your life and tell us about some of these things. Those, a lot of those applications have some real questions about, they want to know about what's your personal growth. Really good universities understand that they're investing in you. They're putting in their talented teachers. Um, they're giving you a space in their school for you. They want you to stay in there. They don't want you to be a dropout. They don't want you to be unsuccessful, but they want to invest in you. So they got to know that look, like, even when there are dark times and there are challenges times, and I had lots of those in college when I just wanted to give up, go back home. What am I doing? But I had lived already through so many other experiences where I had to just fight to to be to be successful and uh, know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel. And I think with these experiences, like yeah, I lived it, when I was nineteen. I lived with an indigenous group of people, and then and then I started a guiding business, and then I really knew I could I could show on the on the college application that this is the direction of this is where I want to take my life. I want to be a biologist. I want to be like this person. And this is what I've shown for it. And and I think that's one thing that was really, really successful to me. And and I again, yes, it did make me stand out. And I was lucky because I didn't have the other I didn't have a lot of financial help. I didn't have a lot of you know, I wasn't super I wasn't an incredible athlete. I wasn't I didn't have great good grades, but I had these other things that just yeah, I think other people were able to take notice of, yeah. Yeah. Major interests for sure. So you you went University of Hawaii, yeah, and then I assume you went back overseas. Well, yeah, I was doing a lot of travel, trying to go to. Well, I knew Spanish, so I could travel to Mexico and Central America, and then kind of my my real home away from home was Ecuador, this place. But then once I got involved with University of Hawaii and got into their graduate programs with tropical ecology and they also had a had some uh they have a major that's called ethnobotany which is kind of cultural relations like how people utilize the environment and things like medicinal plants and things like that and that's what i really wanted to get into they had that program there that's why i went specifically to university of hawaii and um but then by going there for three years that opened up doors through school to travel to Southeast Asia, the remote South Pacific. And then I kind of wound up, I was like, gosh, I'm just, I'm almost, by staying in school and and doing this, keep maintaining this interest, it's taking me all over the world. One step after the next of just kind of like seizing opportunities. And if the opportunities weren't there, you were going to have to do whatever it took to make those opportunities happen somehow. You really got an opportunity to spread your wings and fly wherever your interest brought you, right? Which is the focal point of the jungle, which brought you to your TV shows. That's the almost the pinnacle of what you've really tried to achieve. What, what it sounded like, you're like, I just want to make a living living in the jungle. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, whatever. Yeah. How, however that's going to happen. However yeah. that's going to happen. I just want to be around a lot of bugs. Right. I love bugs. I know. <laughs> I've seen snakes. you eat bugs. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen you pick them off the ground and out of bark. And 
and chew them down with, with, with no salt or pepper or cooking them for sure. That immersion is really what I like to focus on because when I watch you on Primal Survivor or Ultimate Survivor World War II, there is that intrinsic ability to survive. There's a tribal sense of the true sense, like where humans came from eons ago that make us valuable to one another. Talk about your experience when you're, go- when you're, when you're traveling and you're immersed within these tribes that lends itself to the fulfillment that they have within their village and then how that's cast upon you. A lot of these people, they are so happy with so little. Believe me, I'm, I'm still I'm in my mid-40s now, and I'm still getting so much from traveling and seeing other walks of life that are different than mine. And, and I think one thing that I really try to do that might be maybe part of my skill set is that I'm kind of always questioning if what's familiar to me is really the right way to go. I try to stay really open-minded. And when I'm seeing a lot of these other cultures, one thing that I am noticing is this overall happiness, even though, you know, health conditions might not be as good. Certainly financial situations are rarely as good as we have it in in the United States. They live with a lot less, but um, the one thing that I notice here in the United States, and, and I think I do pretty okay. I'm, I'm fortunate to be, my finances are okay and things like that, but I do find myself being lonely, mm. which is a strange thing mm. because I've got a whole mess of friends, all kinds of friends, and I have a wonderful family here. This is why I live here. But um, I think we're all, the one thing that we as Westerners, or if you want to say Americans or Westerners, it's kind of like, we're all, we're all kind of expected to be like these self-made men or or people that are just super independent and super successful. But a lot of times in this kind of world that we have, which is kind of like Western American capitalism, is like yeah. you kind of have to be really selfish. Like you have to go and do your own thing, not let anybody get in the way. Right. And... <clears throat> um the one thing that I see all around these, all around the world, with in places that they don't really have the opportunities like we have in the United States, is they really rely on each other, right? And um, they live in, like, if you live in a village, the one thing about living in a village is, like, gosh, how many people live in Spokane? Like three hundred and seventy thousand people, I think. But we can still live in our own little house. We can drive in our car and go to work and work in our cubicle, maybe know about a couple, a handful of people at work and then go back home and then live our lives that whole way. Away from everybody. <clears throat> Which is, but if you live in a village where there's only 50 people, only 50 people, like super, super small town, but you're interacting with them day and night all day long. And you're and the thing about it is you are individually, um, you're individually cherished. Valued. Valued absolutely yeah. like like what do you because we need you right and so when people need you you realize that you have a you have something that you have to give to the rest of the people and so it's it kind of becomes a, a much less selfish way of life 
Like my value is I get a lot of my kudos in my life is because I help all these people. And they, I are, I have so much confidence in this village of 50 people that they're always going to help me. Whereas in the United States, when we're so selfish and we think about ourselves, when the crap goes down, more or less. <laughs> you can say shit okay, on when this the sh- podcast. <laughs> <laughs> when the shit goes down and mom or dad are not there, it's like, well... What do I do? Yeah, exactly. And the shit goes down all the time. It does. But when you're in a village, it's like you have this support group of 70 people. And they're right there. They're right there always. And, and they know and you so there's, inside there's and like, out. Yeah, and there's no... So there's no... There really is no loneliness. That's right. the thing. That's the thing. It's the craziest thing. Yeah. You live in the smallest town imaginable, but there is no loneliness huh. because you... And and I think the the biggest ailment in the Western world is... Is depression and depression Absolutely. usually stems from it usually stems from loneliness and I in a in a lot of ways. Oh, you're you're giving me chills right now. I I don't know if you read Sebastian Younger's book Tribe, but he talks exactly about that. Oh, really? He's yeah. a, incredibly amazed on how third world countries where, where there's indigenous people and in, living in villages and tribes have virtually no rate of suicide. Depression is virtually non-existent. And the monetary things that they have are virtually nothing. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're nomadic in, in some ways, and they, they only have what they need, which is the shelter, clothing, and food to feed their families. Yeah. And they're incredibly happy. But that truly speaks to the intrinsic value, which is feeling competent about what you do, uh, the need to feel authentic in other people's lives and then the need to feel connected with others. Mm-hmm. And that's the real value, which you explained how we're living here is the extrinsic values that we hold, which is money, beauty, and status. Mm-hmm. And um, that's only exemplified through social media and technology, of course, in some, some real negative ways where people are feeling like they're getting some intrinsic value from all the stuff that we own and the big houses and living far away from our village and our people, what it's really doing is robbing us of that tribal sense and and that true need to to be able to depend on people. Yeah. I mean, I I hate to use the word disease. I mean, I I, I will say that it's it's a wonderful thing that we get to live in the United States the way we have so many things. But the thing is, is that that is exact. That's just what we are used to. If you think about just capitalism, which works for us, but it, the only way capitalism works is if it grows, if it grows more. Like if you think about capitalism with um, assets or or money, the only way for it to work is you have to make more money. You have to keep growing. You have to maintain. So there's never any contentment. You have to keep pushing, you know, hustling. You have to do all that all the time. If you don't have capitalism, there isn't like this you have to gain something by the end of the day or else you're 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 not worthy if there isn't that then you focus on the present and you are in the present moment with your friends there's no other agenda of that other than being with people and we don't see it it's you have to really it's what they call a paradigm shift you really have to get outside of what everything is familiar to you and you realize that um 
this might sound really brash, but I can say it because I even myself struggle. I, I go through real severe bouts with depression, and so I understand it inside and out. And um, it is it is really difficult. And then I also, I'm fortunate enough to go in a totally, completely different culture and see how that depression fits in with my life. And I I realize that depression really you have to you have to take a take out the negative word of selfishness but you have to understand that depression really is your feelings about yourself and and it's so it's selfish and that's not a bad it's not a bad word you have to just have to think selfishness is the word to say that it's your feeling how you feel about yourself so your self pity your self worth your self it's all about you when in these other con- other countries and or third world countries or villages, you're so much more caught up in other people way before yourself. So yeah, life might not be that great, but you want everybody around you to have a great life. You want them to be happy and healthy. You want other people more than you. And so you really have to work for that. So you're caught up in their business more. And here, we're so much more caught up in how I am, how am I successful, yeah. am I succeeding, yeah. how am I feeling, how come I'm not smiling? You go to other villages, how come they're not smiling? And wow. so they work on that. So really, you don't have an opportunity to be depressed because you can't. Wow. You're thinking about too many other people. Yeah, that's yeah. incredible. And, and again, like you say, you get to detach from yourself. Um, I battled with depression. I battled with anxiety. You know, I, I used to medicate in very destructive ways in the past, and I've I've come a long way since then, of course, and in recovery programs. And in there is a little village in and of itself. In in my experience with with the group that I meet with and the friends that we share some commonality within there is, man, when things are tough and shit's hitting the fan for me my bros come running and they're there and they want to know what's going on with me. Not even talking about themselves. Um, going, it was going through a situation a few weeks ago and, uh, I just reached out to my, a good friend who, who also happens to, to share some of the addictive personality that I do. And he has a life. He's got shit going on. He's got kids. He's got, you know, worries, but all that dropped. He came over that night. We sat in the back, and had a real conversation about what was happening. And he was totally focused on me. And I, I, you know, at the time it's hard because you're caught up in it and you're wrapped up into what, what's going on. Um, and after you know a few days, I come out of that fog and I, I thanked him. I said, wow, man, I know you have a lot going on. <laughs> you got your own life and here you did, you came over and wrapped me in, in your comforting blanket to help me through something. I think it's a rare thing here. I don't think a lot of people have that uh, to to that degree. Whereas in villages that you visited and tribes that you've immersed yourself in, have that times fifty. How valuable! I was looking for a way to spread my wings. I was looking to lift my soul. I want to take a moment and recognize the music I use for YRF. It's a song called Rescue from the Movement. One of my favorite bands of all time. Honestly, I've gained so much inspiration and energy from these guys over the years. This song comes from their 2016 album, Golden. Very special thanks to manager Reed Foster. 
Lead singer and guitarist Josh Swain, bassist Jason Schmidt, drummer Gary Jackson, and of course, keyboardist Matt Goodwin. They released an album in 2019 called Ways of the World. It is bonkers. It is zero surprise that it hit number one on the Billboard Reggae chart. You can check it out on Spotify and iTunes. Their Instagram is The Movement Vibe, and their website's themovementvibe.com. Again, gentlemen, thank you so much for being along this journey with me. Your support means a tremendous amount. I love you. Keep doing what you're doing, and let's get back to Hazen. How in the world did Nat Geo get a hold of you? Is it, so is it, it was an interesting thing. I, I knew by the time I kind of got myself settled, like, okay, I'm done with college now, done with the university. I went through the rodeo ride of like all that. And at the end of all of it, it was like, okay, I think I know that I don't want to be a college professor or a university professor. I don't yeah. want to be an academic biologist. At that time, things were going really well for me in Spokane, back home on the other side of the globe and going, God, you know, I, I have something pretty special here. Um, I have five ski mountains that I totally love within an hour and a half drive. I have, you know, I, I understand the ropes uh, in Spokane and I kind of, I understand now, now that I've left for almost 10 years, how good it is here. So I want to come back, but what am I going to do? I want, I still want to be around the sciences. I still want to, I want to have a really good community of people that are around me. It took me, you know, this maturity to really find out where my values really lie. And then I thought, okay, you know what What might be really ideal is for me to be a high school teacher. Um, I want to share my passion with kids, both in art and the sciences. And also, um, well, I get about three months of the year off and I can keep doing this other part of my life that I don't want to get rid of. I want to keep traveling. You know, I want to keep learning from other cultures and other parts of the world. So really, honestly, every summer I was I was out traveling again, just like I've always been doing, basically up to my own antics. Um, upon my travels in the summer, I'd take, I had my kids to think about, you know, my students. And so I was like, God, you know, my science class would totally dig watching this right now. Or like, this is totally cool. Like what this person is doing. I'm going to go and use this in my class in a couple months when I'm teaching again. And I just kept making all these like little videos. It's like you make a podcast, yeah? Sure. So I make these, uh, like I made these just super hammed up like science education videos and little nature videos. And they were totally like cheesy <laughs> and they were so gorilla style. But it was all right. It was like, you know, hey, I just want to let you know I'm thinking about you guys, even though I am not at school right now. And the kids totally digged it. And some of the kids would put my stuff up on YouTube, actually. <laughs> and uh, and they got pretty popular, surprisingly. And they were getting noticed. And then and then, um, then a publishing company that do actually make science book, well, Pearson Publishing, they make yeah, science, Pearson, sure. yeah, all kinds of science books and yeah. leading biology books and all kinds of school books. They tried to figure out a way that they could have me make videos that would supplement their textbooks. So I had some friends that I went to grad school with that were way smarter than me and good at video and were adventurers and scientists too. And the kind of a group of us, like three of us, we all got together and started making more videos 
And then they got even more popular because we were working for Pearson now. And then we were getting invited to like wildlife film festivals, these like meet and greet mingling sessions around. This one was in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, which happens every other year. But you go to there and you that you show off your stuff that you've been making, as horrible and horrific as it ever was. But <laughs> at the same time, you're like rubbing shoulders with National Geographic and BBC and Discovery Channel and Animal Planet. And you're like, whoa, cool. Okay, so you're meeting people. And again, it's like you got you to gotta surround yourself with people that are going in the direction that you like to go that you want to go, you know, if you want to be a loser, hang out with a bunch of losers, you know, it's like, so I was like hanging out. And That's then, exactly what you did in college. That <laughs> you wanted to go to Hawaii and be around the biologists. You're like, this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And now you're doing it's it like, again. I got to go around people that know about the tropics. Okay. Well, it's not going to happen here in Spokane. Right. So I went over to Hawaii yeah, and checked right. out that. And, and then, now you're hanging around Nat Geo and BBC right, and right. Jackson so, Hole. Yeah. Exactly. So then you're like, okay, so now this new thing, that's kind of like a cool hobby uh, or like a, just a little like thing that I'm doing to make my teaching better is taking me yet more opportunities because you, you know you're working hard and all everything that you hustle at it's going to be an opportunity somewhere along the lines. It doesn't necessarily, you know, you might have a goal a goal, but it doesn't really matter about the goal. It's the journey, and something's going to take you somewhere. And so that was an unexpected part of my journey. Is I got gold. It, that's gold. I got to go into into these like wildlife film festivals, get to know these people, know a little bit more about how it was all working. And then I thought, well, shoot, maybe I can actually be a science, like a nature show host, like David Attenborough, like, like Steve Irwin, like these guys that I always, I always would dream about it in my wildest dreams doing that, you know, but it's like a lot of people just want to be a rock and roll drummer, a drummer in a rock and roll band, like superstar. But you know, they're, First of all, they they're not even musicians. They don't even, but they still want to dream about <laughs> they don't it. Don't want to practice. <laughs> you know, it was like okay, well, you know, I dream about being a nature show nature guy, but then it was like, wow, this actually might happen. So then I tried to, you know, promote myself as a nature show host. Maybe there's a possibility, and um, that didn't quite happen exactly how I wanted it. But then different people in the industry, television industry, started to they found out about my background and my experiences that were again, unique, the stuff that got me into school, you know, because it was, I was unique and very different and it was totally showed passion and motivation. You know, these people were like, Whoa, that guy's been living with tribes. Like most of his young adult life, like, Whoa, he's, and then, you know, you have conversations with them and you have lots of stories to share. And then these these stories kind of get their wheels turning. And then uh, there was a production company out of England. They're the same production company that makes River Monsters with Jeremy Wade. See, yeah. And uh, pretty good following of a show. And anyways, they, they just out on a, within with good faith, they said, well, you know, that's pretty interesting. We'd be interesting to do a show about that. I was like, but I didn't even have, that was where I really needed to be a part of a team. It wasn't me. I couldn't make a show like the way it is now, even though it's exactly what I've always been doing. How do you make a television show? So I met this production company and they were awesome. And they said, you know, you know, we'd really like to see you in your element. And that's like, well, yeah, but if my element is in 
in the middle of the jungle. There is no electricity. There's no road. The like Darien you, Gap. Like, like you just, people die. Yeah, like like shit. like I'll take you to where I want to take you, but it's like it's a boat ride where you have to get a dugout canoe, make a motor on it. You have to chop your way through the forest because they're through the through the river because there's trees going through it and all that. Like we might not get there. And if you really want to follow me through there, and there's no showers, there's no, it's all mud and rain and wild. And, you know, they say they want to come, but like, they're yeah, they're not right. going to follow me. They actually did. Wow. So the owner of the company went with me and uh, he took a cameraman and they just said, hey, we'll just show you in your, let's just see what it's like in your environment. And they, they, they were with me for about 10 days and they just turned the camera on and just kind of watched how I interact with people and with the environment and and then the masterminds of the production company is like okay we can make this into a show this is how we're going to do it and then it's just been morphing itself over the last six years but that's basically how, how it happened they came down i was fortunate enough to have them and they made like a little demo tape you know yeah. like of like me and then they pitched it around to discovery channel animal planet all those people and then national geographic were were the takers of it they're like they were the most intrigued about it and they said, "Hey, you know, we'll 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 pay to have a pilot done, like an actual one one off episode, and see if this works." They liked that. Then it went to series, which was amazing. So then I got to go to five other places all around the world. Um, my first allowed me to go to Africa. I never thought I'd ever be able to go to Africa. Then I went to Africa. Was then that Morocco? Were you in Morocco? Was that went, South Africa? I went to Morocco years later, but okay. I, I think the, my was first African experience was season. in Kenya. Yeah, living with the Samburu which are kind of like the Maasai. And uh, so that was that. And then that season, that first season, w- did so well, then it got recommissioned for another year, and then it got called, that was Survive the Tribe. Now, then it got, the second year got got called Primal Survivor, and then it went to two years. And then, amazingly, it got commissioned a third year, fourth year. And now we're, we're on our fifth year of that, awesome. which we're all kind of like, oh, my God. Right. This was just a, a guy that was like, I'm a small town boy, and I was a science teacher before that, you know. Right. But for me, I see the value of being at all. But it, right now, I'm gonna I'm gonna ride the wave. You know, it's super cool. Amazing, amazing how it comes together, and you don't realize that it's happening until it's I don't know. Like I, you're the kind of guy I think that sits back, takes a deep breath, and be like. Wow. Okay, this is actually really happening, and and appreciating it as it is, uh-huh. instead of it, you know, uh, you're 80 years old and you're like, holy shit, that all happened. <laughs> I can't <laughs> believe I went through all of that. But um, I there's so many humble beginning stories w- with with situations just like yours. In in a sense, I mean, we weren't all born TV stars. No, <laughs> no, it, it was it's it was kind of like. All I could say is that I was so fortunate. Like you could say, yeah, I was born with dyslexia or I had ADD or I was super hyperactive. Well, you could also say that I just did whatever the, I did what my heart told me to do. I followed my heart with reckless abandon with everything I did. So somebody else could say, no, that's just ADD. No, I just did exactly what I wanted to do really hard. I worked harder than everybody else at doing exactly what I was totally fascinated by. And that's what led to all this is this, I just have always 
worked harder at doing the things that I love more than anybody else. I consider myself very fortunate. I don't take any of it for granted. Right. It's just, I've never seen it. It's great. Yeah, that's great. Um, you said some amazing things uh, in another interview I read. <laughs> when I return home, I always struggle with how to live back in the United States and to keep the values that I learned from the cultures that I lived in. Yeah. You remember saying that? Yeah. I mean, I think that um, we all we all get complacent. We all get really comfortable. You know, we, we come back to the United States and then, you know, I, I'm fortunate here, you know, we're sitting on my couch and this is my house and this yeah. is, this is my, my normal, right. you know, but then, um, oftentimes we just, we start to go on autopilot again and it's like, okay, this is my comfort. This is comfortable to me. This is working for me. I'm not being put out of my comfort zone. But then when you start traveling, you forget a lot of these kind of like little things you forget about. And then you get, you go back into traveling and then you're like, whoa, oh yeah, this is what makes me happy. I totally, I don't have access to this happiness in Spokane. It's, I always say it's a reality check. Like, because I can go into Spokane and go, oh man, you know, it would be super sweet to have that car. Ooh, I, I got to like make enough money to make a payment so I can have that car. And it's just because we start to become products of our environment. Right. Everybody else in our environment wants that cool car too. So we start to be like them because we're all humans that are just impressionable, right? Absolutely. So I'm it's like, super guilty of it. Yeah, we just do what our neighbors do. And that right. sucks because <laughs> a lot of our neighbors are total idiots. <laughs> but, you know, like, okay, wow, I guess since everybody else around me really needs to have really fancy cars, I guess that's a value system. That's what I need to do. So then. And then you get you get almost like brainwashed, you know? And for me, when I go traveling, it's like, oh, yeah. I don't give a shit about that car, actually. <laughs> I really don't. <laughs> like, that's not what I really am happy at. Is like I'm a kid again in the jungle, back with my snakes and all my friends and swimming in the river. And it's like, that's when I can see my future. Like, I want my family to live like this. I can see happiness. It's like, I don't know. It's just, and so then, yeah, you come back into the United States and it's like, it's always kind of like before when I was younger, it was really hard. Like, how do I mesh these two totally separate lives? Like people would ask me like, oh, how is Ecuador? How is the jungle? And it's like, well, you can't go and spew off like for days on end how it was like. They pretty much just want to know if the beach was right. sunny, you know? Sure. So it's like a conversation stopper if you really start to talk about the in detail. So it's like you live your two separate lives. <laughs> and it was like, God, I don't know. I, I had I struggled with it a lot. But now it's like, okay, both two different kinds of lives are kind of part of who I am. And it yeah, there's a lot of people will say I'm I'm a weird dude. <laughs> and if it's if it's weird or if I if I'm eccentric or if I'm strange or whatever, it's because I'm able to to think differently. You know, like when I start to see myself need a new car or whatever, or start to see, it's like, oh, well, I know so many other ways of going about that happiness. Yeah. And uh, getting out of Dodge is one, but then realizing there's there's more to it. Yeah. There's that intrinsic value that you have, particularly when you're out there and you see a lot of value in that. Not only that, but your shows are 
aren't just like turn your mind off and watch the garbage, right? Mm-hmm. There's like not a drama or, you know, a foolish comedy. Like you learn things. Well, I, I hope so. That's awesome. It's good to hear. Oh, absolutely. My boys love it. Uh, I love it. Jana loves it. I mean, uh, my nephews, my uh, <laughs> Rad. Rad. aunts and uncles. Spread the word, bro. Yeah, well, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Every, everybody that I talk to thinks is fascinating. Cool. And, and of course, it's always That's fun cool. to watch you eat worms and bugs and stuff. <laughs> but, but you're educational all the way through it. And we feel like we're right there with the jungle, walking barefooted through God knows what. That's cool. You know, oh, good. Uh, we don't have to risk our lives like you have i know you've had a couple brushes with death out there too uh <laughs> coming back with some some crazy skin fungus and i don't know you were hospitalized for what was that when was i that? never know i never really know what's gonna happen you do, uh, well that's 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 what's great about the show like <laughs> no, no show you don't know i mean anything could you could fall to your death you could get bitten by a freaking venomous snake out in the middle of nowhere maybe i don't know i always get like mystery things happen <laughs> i mean it, it, i that all being said i will say that like when i was 19 and i told my parents i remember telling my mom mom i bought a plane ticket i'm going to ecuador and she was everybody's was horrified they'd never left you know, they'd never gone traveling, you know, <laughs> right. and here I am going to go by myself pretty much. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember my mom and in out of desperation and she loves me more than a, a mother could love a son. You know, sure. she's like, well, if you do that, then you are not allowed back in the house when oh, you come back. Damn. I was like, shit, you know, <laughs> but you know, that was just her desperation, you know? Yeah. And, um, but I remember, you know, her view, her take on it was she's going to lose her son because it's so dangerous uh, out there. Yeah. You know, you're going to, yeah. you're going to drink the water. You're going to die. You're going to get kidnapped. You can do all this stuff. And I will say, I had a fortunate experience and I was thriving. Mm. I came back and I was thriving. I was alive. I was healthy. Mm. And it was just a most amazing experience that set up my whole, the rest of my life. Absolutely. But I remember doing that. I came back. I looked up my old girlfriend that I was dating before that you know I had to break up with because I was leaving to South America. I come back, and I remember um, she went on a date with the guy that would have been me if I stayed in town. They all got in a drunk driving accident. Oh, jeez. Uh, one of the guys got killed. Oh, the guy that was would have been me, the date, lost his eye oh, in man. the accident. All this sort of stuff. So it's like, what's more dangerous? That was like a. It's like Absolutely. I could have stayed here, and tried to play it safe, and then you get run over by a car or whatever, you know. Right. And then there I was in the middle of the jungle that was just like supposed to be, from our viewpoint, totally dangerous. Tiger, tigers, and lions, and tapeworms, and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. But I was like taken care of by the most amazing family. But yeah, they're. Hunters and gatherers, in some ways you could say savage, but they're like, from face value, you look at them and they're all ripped and they carry around spears and they kill things all day long. But they're like the most sweetest, amazing, wholehearted, huge-hearted people. And there, there had to have been a language barrier, of course, particularly because you travel the world, right? You know, I know you don't speak yeah. 50 languages. No. But what's that interaction like with them when you first meet them and, and there's an introduction and I'm kind of a pro at this by now. You sure, know, I've, yeah. I've been doing it for a long time, but I think you just, you really kind of learn 
the universal language of being humble. So you you don't just walk into some village and tell them that they're all doing it wrong. And, you know, that's not a good way. But then I think people can pick up already that I'm like really fascinated by like what they do. So they already know that I'm interested in their lives. I don't go in there and I'm like, it's all about me. Like, I really want to know, even though I don't know their language, but I'm watching and people pick up on that. And pretty soon you, you start to see what works and there is a language. And I think 70% of our language is body language. It's not words. Sure. And so it's like how we carry ourselves. And I always say, might sound cheesy, but it's like really a smile will take you a million miles. <laughs> you know, it means acceptance. It means openness. It means friendliness. It's non-intimidating. Universal you know? language, man. Yeah. yeah. And so that, when you start to do that, you start to get, and then just with experience, you, you get more street credit when it's like, yeah, I'm really interested in what you do, but I'm also not just some kid off the block. I kind of know a little bit, quite a bit now about like why, like, especially like in the, the show where it's like a lot about survival and stuff like, I know why you're cutting down that tree to get that kind of bark. I have insight to this, but I want to know the details. Yeah. And they, they know that's like, wow, this kid's like smarter than your average bear. But he, I also, the other guys can give me knowledge and they're like, that gives them power. Sure. So it's kind of like, um, yeah, I might not be able to speak the language, but they pick up on like, I know my stuff, but I also really respect their culture Absolutely. and I want to know about it. And I think that, yeah, that, that's my language. Yeah. Yeah. They feel valued. Yeah. And and they they're proud. They're probably a proud people wherever they are. And the way that they do things, it's difficult. The shit you do out in the wild is insane. Starting fires from scratch. I mean, you ask anyone on this street or in Spokane, throw down the tools that you use to start a fire in the wild, in the rain, in the jungle, with humidity, and ask them to start a fire. Give me a freaking break. Well, I it's think, not going to happen. <laughs> I, I think, <laughs> but, you know, I've, I've learned a lot of these skills from the most unassuming people. Sure, sure. Um, and I, I think that's another thing that's has enabled me to to go as far as I have gone, is, yeah. that, is that there are hunters and gatherers and people that are living in villages where they don't have even a road to get into their village. They don't have cars. Right. But now in our world today, they have access to the magazines that we read, to social media, to the news. They're seeing the world's take on, say, like the United States, where supposedly everybody has drives around big yachts and boats and and everybody's happy and and oh my everybody God. drives no. around. And so like they think <laughs> it's easy for them to kind of feel like they're beneath us you know like they don't have as much power it's easy for them to f- kind of feel like they only knew how depressed people were and how extrinsically motivated yeah. we all are. I, I mean i mean we, we all kind of we we i think as as americans we all can like walk around with our our chest sticking out you know yeah. but it's like and and we can easily we might not mean to but we kind of intimidate a lot of the world and mm. so it makes the a lot of the rest of the world kind of feel inferior Mm. And I think that um, when people start to feel inferior, we all start to feel, as as you know, like low self-esteem or insecurities, sure. Sure. totally get in the way of everything, a whole sense of reality. Mm. And um, 
when I can go in there and go like, whoa, you are really offering something that the rest of the world can't. This knowledge that you have, this skill that you have. And I really dig it. Wow. Like, it's really cool. And that's something that they can give us because they can't give us a car. They can't give us all these things. But there's like, no, this is, you actually really like it? No, I'm really, I never thought that you guys would have thought that wow. th- this would have been awesome. But yeah, we know how to make our own baskets. And this is how we, we weave. But I, I thought the rest of the world, they only want plastic buckets. I thought that's <laughs> what they wanted, you know? Right. So, um, and and I think that's what, I really try to show. It's just like when you say you learn stuff from the show, I I want to I want to share my fascination with nature first and foremost, but I also want to show the world how much I dig what these guys know. Cuz again, they might be the most um unassuming people, but when they're when they're the ones teaching you how to make a fire by rubbing sticks together and what knowledge that takes to make that happen, that unassuming woman or little boy or man or whatever, that they're my heroes, you know? Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And, and the culture and the way that they treat each other, if we could just emulate that. And I mean, we don't have to take their, we have lighters, we have matches. We don't have to hunt monkeys and trees. We, we don't, it's not how we need to eat. But if mm-hmm. we could take some of that from them, where they're possibly taking some of our technology or mm-hmm. um, our American ideals and and trade a little bit, we, we might we might be better off as a society. Yeah, we definitely would. Oh. I mean, I, I see it. That's great. Dude, we're out of time. Okay, that was cool, though. Thank you, buddy. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Hazen. Man, what a critical lesson in extrinsic and intrinsic value we have. I completely understand now how far we've diverted from our tribal senses. And maybe that means we need to get a little bit closer. Not necessarily with just family, because I think that might be an easy one. But our community, our friends, at socially, professionally. And through the artful lens of National Geographic, we can see what other communities and tribes are doing across the globe. And although we may be technologically far more advanced than they are, it sounds like intrinsically they are far more advanced than we are. So if we could take the underpinnings of that and apply it to our Western world of living, I think we'd be better off and it might be the key to happiness and stability, you know, at least more than we're displaying now. So uh, brother Hazen, you're a pro dude. Thank you so much for your time. Please everybody check out Hazen on Instagram, H-A-Z-E-N-A-U-D-E-L, Hazen Adel, and then pick up Ultimate Survivor, World War II, and Primal Survivor on Hulu, Amazon, and uh, On Demand. Thank you, everybody. Yeah.